Welcome to the CultureWise podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here, we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints and their relational network. My name is Daniel Schukert, and I'm joined today by Ross Anderson and by Jason and Kelly Robbins. Jason and Kelly have been working with uh, the InterVarsity at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City since the fall of 2019. They're on staff there and they are tearing it up with getting to know students, um, serving students there, helping them get connected with Jesus. They've been living together in community with students uh, really ever since um, they got married. And so they've really had to live a life incarnationally, live a life reflecting Jesus, teaching Jesus. And so I'm really excited to have them in studio to hear uh, just the stories of what they've encountered working at the U and how they have seen Jesus move and work and draw students to himself. So Jason, Kelly, um, give us a little bit of introduction about yourself. Um, Where where did you grow up? How did you get involved in campus ministry? Yeah. Yeah, I am from Ogden, Utah. I'm a native Utah. Both my parents grew up Latter-day Saints and they left at 18 to just pursue a different life. There was no major religious deconstruction. And so I grew up non-religious. I became a Christian at 18 through a local church. And then I got involved in InterVarsity at my school, Utah State. Then I felt a call to raise up young people and send them back into Utah after they come to this state and fall in love with it. Yeah, and I'm Kelly. I'm also from Ogden, Utah, born and raised here. And I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a local church here my whole life, went to a Christian school. And in college, I really fell away from faith. I, yeah, pursued just things of the world and really lost my connection to Jesus. And through, um, yeah, obviously God's work in my life and a really incredible mentor um, and the local church here in Ogden called Alpine, I found my way back to Jesus and through that church and working there felt a call into full-time ministry. Uh, So in meeting Chasen, we both felt like God was inviting us to stay in Utah, the place that I think both of us at a time really wanted to escape, um, to to see young people like us be called long-term here, not even just as ministers, but just as um, neighbors and workers and friends to love Utah and to see people just engaged with the gospel. So we came on staff with InterVarsity in 2019 uh, and have been in Salt Lake City working at the schools there ever since. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, and I'm, I'm familiar with InterVarsity, been closely connected with them in the past. But for our listeners, share with us a little bit about what is InterVarsity? What does it do? What is it trying to, uh, what, what needs is it trying to meet? InterVarsity is a national campus organization like Crew, Navigators, Young Life, or Chi Alpha. And they are essentially trying to make a witnessing community at local universities where students can study the Bible in dorms, in cafeterias, in libraries, and to reach their friends with the hope of sending students back to churches to build them up, right? So they're a missional arm of the church. And for Kelly and I specifically, we work at three schools. So we work at the University of Utah, Westminster, which is a private university, and then Salt Lake Community College. So pretty different uh, economic range uh, in Salt Lake City. But our goal is to reach students at the college campus, have them fall in love with Utah, Utahns, and the culture here, 
to build up the local church in Utah. And so send them back out graduated on how to tell people about Jesus. Yeah. So InterVarsity is a parachurch organization, meaning it's interdenominational. It doesn't partner with any one church or denomination, but looks to serve the needs of the church body as a whole. Um, so we have students from a wide range of faith backgrounds, from uh, really liturgical Presbyterian to charismatic assemblies of God uh, and, and the whole the whole range in between. So it's really cool we get to engage the church at like as a whole in Utah and see just all that God is doing through many different denominations and movements around our state. And I think along with that, that more interdenominational ecumenical experience can become really attractive to a lot of Latter-day Saints. I think growing up in Utah, the idea was to get to like take denominational labels off. And I totally understand that. Right. Uh, I I think in our fellowship with young students, I think we name the denominational labels. Like we'll say charismatic or liturgical at our large group worship service. Like we're recognizing, hey, this is a liturgical thing we're about to do, right? And the Catholics are really receptive of that. But then we'll have students jump up and down in our worship service. We'll say, okay, obviously we have more charismatic students. And I think in naming what would be called denominational characteristics as more ways of being Christian is actually really inviting sometimes because I think it sociolocates an LDS student in the grander story of Christianity sometimes. Instead of painting denominations as divides, we're saying, hey, what if there's just different streams or uh, of thought or ways of being Christian? And That's awesome. So I, I know we have listeners kind of from all over, those who are in Utah, different parts of Utah, and even outside of Utah. So everyone who's listening has a different level of engagement with Latter-day Saints and Latter-day Saint culture. Tell me about Salt Lake City um, and, and the campuses that you're on. What proportion of the students you're engaging with are LDS? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, our largest outreach is at the University of Utah. It is the largest campus in Salt Lake City um, with the most students. There's 33,000 students in undergrad, uh, graduate, and doctorate degrees there. Uh, Luckily, there is some data. We know about 50% of students at the University of Utah were raised in the LDS church uh, and had at some point have been members of the LDS church, where data also shows about 30% of students are still actively involved, which is a lot when you look at the country at whole, but is actually really small for Utah, um, that only 30% of students, most other campuses are over 50% LDS. So it is definitely one of the less saturated pockets of Latter-day Saints students in Utah. Uh, And then Westminster is only, it's less than 2,000 students as a whole, um, and probably a, a handful are LDS. Uh, we, we meet very few, and it would be a really hard environment to be LDS, honestly. It's a pretty um, liberal arts, just that vein of education. Uh, and then Salt Lake Community College is definitely our highest number of LDS students. It's a common stopping ground before going off to a BYU university, um, like BYU in Provo or Idaho or Hawaii. So there's, I don't know the stati- do you know the statistics on Slick, but I imagine it's well above 50% uh, Latter-day Saint. So, Yeah, and there's some interesting uh, religious dynamics in Salt Lake City, too. So just to give you some comparisons, I think there's more 
uh, active and about is uh, Muslim students at Salt Lake Community College involved in student life than I've ever seen Latter-day Saint students. But Westminster, I would say everyone is fairly non-religious. And there's this famous story of the president of the Latter-day Saint Student Association didn't tell anyone she was the president until three months before graduating because she was so afraid of what people would say, right? And then I would say the University of Utah, Kelly painted the statistics really well, but I would say most LDS students are pretty siphoned off and not bold about their faith. Uh, They have their own nice institute building that everyone can park at for free if you take institute classes, but most people are not on campus sharing their faith. And in fact, when we share our faith on campus, we get a ton of compliments from LDS students for sharing our faith. For your boldness. For our boldness, so. Yeah, and overall, I mean, it's crazy. A lot of people think Salt Lake City is like the center of Latter-day Saint faith, Uh, but it's actually probably, I would say, one of the hardest places in Utah to be an LDS person uh, because it's just, it's It's a big city in a lot of ways. And so students at the University of Utah experience that too. For even coming from, I don't know, 20 minutes down the road in Sandy, it feels like culture shock for an LDS student to come to Salt Lake City. Uh, We're in a place where they've always felt like known and accepted and part of the majority. All of a sudden, they're in this really metropolitan environment where uh, it's not as accepted or – and not even as celebrated as it is in other places in Utah. So I think it's a hard experience for the LDS students that are in Salt Lake to feel excited and proud about their faith. So I think it's also attractive to some LDS students as a way of self-differentiating themselves from a predominant Mormon narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Of yeah. this many kids, this kind of house. So when they go to a more metropolitan ward, which shares a parking lot with Harmons, that's like the big student ward there. Uh, it is more diverse. I would not say the preaching is more liberal by any means, but it is more aware of uh, LGBTQ students, right? Or, or racial divisions. So there is this attractiveness of I'm Mormon, but I'm not a BYU Mormon, right? I'm a Salt Lake Mormon. I'm a a Salt Lake Mormon. I might go in a pride parade to support other people, but I still won't intellectually, like I won't doctrinally believe that. So there is this, because it's a more metropolitan city, there is this like edge or attraction that some LDS students get when they move to Salt Lake. Yeah, I'm not like other Utahns. I'm not like other Utahns, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm more loving. I'm more aware. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've always thought it really interesting that Salt Lake City is the center hub for the church. Mm-hmm. Its headquarters are there, its buildings are all there. And yet, it's the place where in Utah, the lowest proportion yeah. of Latter day Saints live. Um, so, t- tell me about how that dynamic influences campus life, students' daily routines. What is, what is the cultural influence? from the LDS church. Yeah. I would say one of the biggest cultures we are working with is actually the LDS. I mean, we call it the counterculture, uh, which is, I don't think that's a technical term, but uh, it's the easiest way to describe a lot of students at the University of Utah. Like I said, I mean, over 50% have been LDS at some point or grew up in Utah around a lot of LDS people. And College feels like this freedom to step into anything but LDS culture, like the anything but culture. So the so a lot of what we're experiencing and watching is obviously we think 
you know, in Utah, LDS culture touches pretty much everything, whether or not you are an active member. Right. Uh, and so what we're seeing is the the effects of the opposite. So the kind of polarized of like, yes, we still have this large pocket of, of active members of the LDS church engaging. Obviously, you know, the LDS church is very active in Salt Lake City, but we also see this like the former LDS people, the people that were raised or had negative experiences with the church, also very active on campus, naming kind of the predominant culture as well. Yeah, tell me, tell us a little bit about what that looks like. So you've given a good generic yeah. introduction to that, but what are some of the manifestations of that counterculture? Yeah, so I mean, I think one of the biggest ones is just a, an apprehension to even disdain for anything that smells religious. Oh, yeah. So uh, that that if it if it talks about Jesus, if it talks about even organized religion, I mean, there's there's disdain for even, you know, Islam and more, you know, non-Christian umbrella religions as well. And so that'd probably be the biggest thing is there's just an anger and a frustration and almost like they would say being religious is dumb. Like mm-hmm. it, it, this intellectual movement of like, I've outgrown, I've outsmarted the need for religion. And so anything that smells too religious is just unintellectual. So I don't know what else you've, you've seen in counterculture with that. I'd also say there's some form of a moral bedrock that probably doesn't emanate in like a progressive political bent, but people who aren't religious, but if you talk to them, they would sound like someone who went to church growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they believe the government shouldn't do handouts, right? Something like that. Uh, they believe people should pay the time if they do the crime, right? So I do think there's still this do-gooder mentality, right? This works yeah. righteousness mentality. And it's still, it's still a kindness, still a willingness to serve, but we can do that apart from religion, right? So there is still this... Like this desire to be spiritual, but it's not going to be affiliated with Jesus. Right. It's sort of uninstitutionalized. And I just, what makes me wonder um, what kind, what other kinds of deinstitutionalization do you see? One of them, you're talking about a big religious deinstitutionalization. Is, is that part of a bigger thing or is it maybe a, a function of the fact that they were so uh, governed by, by a religious experience in the past? Mm-hmm. I would say that is a wider trend amongst young people more than anything else. One of the biggest difficulties we run into on campus when we evangelize is students will say, I'm not interested in religion. And we'll try to be adamant and say, okay, well, we don't want to talk about religion. We're not going to ask you to go to church after this conversation, but we do want to ask you about what do you think of the person of Jesus? So I think there is a greater distancing that needs to be made between like a predominant religious experience and then the person of Jesus found in the Bible. And I I think that's just a trend amongst young people. And at the same time, there is a great desire for a group, for friends, uh, common young people things, right? And good experiences. So I don't know if a student would... I don't know, become a member at a church, but I do think they would go to like a one-off worship night. So there is this desire for shared experiences too. So, and that can happen within an institution, but uh, I think it's just, there needs to be an experience 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's a desire to belong. And I think especially with the, an, a background of being LDS, that community is such a, a key point of that. So you'll find a lot of people gathering around ideas or causes like uh, if you're in Utah, outdoors is a huge one. Um, people find a lot of community and identity, but generally anything that feels, I think, a little too institutionalized becomes a turnoff. I mean, we even see that in like relationships, like people, marriage is not, I mean, that's kind of a taboo. If you're a university student, that's a big identifier. Like even Chasen and I, we look like college students. So when we tell people we're married, their first assumption is that we're like LDS and that's like a turnoff um, because that like traditional relationships even. So, you know, we are seeing a rise that I think is partially due to this counterculture of non-committal relationships, uh, you know, more like even conversations around polyamory or things like that that feel just like they're not being pinned down by something uh, in general. So, I'd also say, and this might just be a more general trend towards young people, but I also think it goes towards LDS people. If you can have a church service that doesn't look really picturesque or really perfect, I actually think that helps you uh, – say the gospel message better. So when we have sound difficulties, we just name it like before we give the sermon. And I think it's okay to tell people, hey, this this isn't perfect. It's not great. Uh, And I think that helps sometimes because it comes off less institutional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like setting a bar. Like where is the bar? Are we, everyone around me is so perfect. Mm -hmm. Does that that mean that's what I have to aim for? Is Is that where I have to be to fit in? Whereas if it's a more casual environment where mistakes happen, even like things that are inconsequential, technical stuff, yeah. whatever, no, that's not moral. It doesn't matter at all. But then that that's the stage for people that feel like, oh, I can I can be chill, me, the goofy me that mm-hmm. is dumb and makes mistakes and <laughs> all that. Yeah. So what what do you feel like are the longings of students? I feel like we've hinted at that a little bit, but what are students, both the Latter Day Saint students as well as the counterculture students and apathetic students, whoever, uh, what are they really longing for? I mean, purpose and belonging, I think, are core for college. I mean, I think that's why a lot of people go to college is what am I going to do with my the rest of my life? Where do I belong? Where do I fit? What's my purpose? And so um, – and I, it, I'm sure you see that on lots of college campuses, but I think especially ones influenced by the LDS church where uh, – purpose and place have been so defined for them for so long that even for students that stay within the LDS church, they're figuring that out for themselves for the first time. Uh, And so, and I think they are asking really critical questions of like, is what I've been told my purpose is actually my purpose? uh, Or is there something else? And so you find, I mean, honestly, I think it is an, an, there, there's like, overall pretty open people that they they're open to hearing if you have something to say about a place they belong Hmm. a place they can be seen and known and understood they'll kind of be open to to checking that out or if there's something you can speak into about their purpose a lot of people at the university of utah especially find a ton of purpose in academia and you see a lot of really driven um academic-minded students, more so than I think we experienced in our undergrad experience. Um, So, but I would say, yeah, and I'm sure that's true in a lot of places, but I think especially given the culture that a lot of Utahns and LDS students were raised in is 
yeah, defining purpose and belonging for themselves. I think there are some other elements too that I've found to be helpful in reaching students. One is a healthy living out of a multi-ethnic fellowship. So for us, we'll sing songs in different languages. And I'm not telling people to do that uh, by any means, but I think for LDS students coming back from their mission to see worship done in a different language is, I think, one, really comforting to their cross-cultural experience, and two, really jarring because their LDS church doesn't even do that, right, even though they send so many students out. Uh, And then I think another thing is the ability to ask questions about Mm -hmm. scripture and to, to think about it in a safe place is safe place, right word, a safe, challenging place to be able to continue to ask questions and grow in it. Yeah. So like, I think, yeah, longing, a longing to like learn and learn for themselves and explore like freely. And I think in general regards to young people, I think justice is something that comes up with a lot of young people, but I think we have to be careful there because young people are really aware of the hypocrisy that happens on both sides. And they're really aware of cancel culture. So I think there needs to be an acknowledgement that there is injustice happening. And then I think there needs to be a humility that it's not all going to be taken care of this moment, right? Yeah. My mom was a, a pastor's kid. And when she was growing up, she had a hard time asking good questions because she thought that asking questions meant that her dad was doing a poor job of discipling yeah. and training her yeah. in the Bible. And so that was something she shared with me about. Um, it, it was a real notable part of her life when she learned how to ask good questions of Scripture. And I think that's something that InterVarsity does really well, is it really pokes at that and trains students to ask really thoughtful and intentional questions about the text of scripture to really dig in and not just say, oh yeah, I understand this because I'm supposed to and I don't want to show any you know, vulnerability of not knowing. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's something that InterVarsity does that is really helpful for, for young students and particularly Latter-day Saints yeah. that may have uh, a, a different attitude towards the scriptures. Yeah, and you can really watch them when a, a Latter-day Saint student comes to one of our Bible studies. We use a inductive manuscript method of Bible study where you kind of go through phases with the scripture. First, you just make observations and ask questions without answering them. So it's all leaving everything on a cliffhanger of like, we're going to just let that sit there and we're not going to need to have an answer. But what you find a lot of times, especially, I mean, for sure with that like really gung-ho youth group kid that comes, but also with pretty much every LDS student I've had in Bible study is they feel this urge where they have to have the right answer. So they'll even start just answering questions and being like, "I," because they, they have this desire to have and know and feel confident in truth, which makes it really hard sometimes for them to sit in the unknown of questions that we naturally have with scripture. So I think it's a beautiful place that I think university serves LDS students is saying, hey, it's okay to let this linger in not knowing. And we might not even answer the question. Like we might just leave that question lingering because we can't, if we can't answer it from the passage, we're just going to leave it out there to think about and ponder on. And so, yeah, I think you're totally right of like training LDS students of it's okay to have a question. It's okay to not know the perfect Sunday school, you know, Jesus answer to everything. Um, So yeah, I think you see that a lot when an LDS student comes to a small group. 
One thing I'm really curious about, because you mentioned that there, that students are kind of longing for a multicultural community. And I, I'd be curious, what does that actually look like for you? And even um, knowing, knowing and recognizing that Utah is rather homogenous racially, yes. <laughs> um, but it, with interfaith, um, that kind of multiculturalism, how, how does that influence uh, and shape the way your chapter looks? Mm. Yeah, so interesting. Kelly mentioned earlier that we are an interdenominational fellowship, and that means uh, Catholics could feel at home in our fellowship because we'll do some more liturgical practices We'll do the doxology or we'll do a confession. And then also more Pentecostal students would feel at home in our fellowship as we do more charismatic worship songs. And I think for LDS Utahns, you're right, there's not a bunch of different cultures to experience, even though they're they're there in Utah, they're more difficult to find. I do think going to different church traditions are ways that students begin to explore different ways of following Jesus. So... Sometimes I think it's been the case that students, that people have thought students will feel confused if they go to a really reformed church, right? And then they'll go to a really Pentecostal church. But I actually think we've met students who they'll go to an LDS church and then sometimes they'll go to a really Baptist church and then they'll go to a really Pentecostal church. And I think that doesn't cause dissension between them. It actually gives them a greater freedom to understand their own Christian uh, or spiritual story and then to begin to see Christianity as far more large than the, the LDS church is portrayed it to be, right? Because there's really not just one true church. There actually might be a lot of different churches that yeah. have it pretty right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think a critique that the LDS church has had of mainstream evangelical Christianity is why are there so many different churches? Like why are there – like denominations have been a point of confusion. But I think with young people, they're actually seeing this – and Chase mentioned this earlier – is like – it's a reframing from these are all different and only one can be right to actually what if this is just the the broadness of the church is that this is all Christianity. And so I think young people, young LDS people are actually getting excited about the prospect. It doesn't have to look one way because a lot of them, I think, may not feel fully seen in how they are wanting to connect with God in within the LDS experience. So the prospect that Maybe there's other options. Maybe, you know, there's other worship, there's other music, there's other ways people teach that all still could fit in this realm of Christianity is actually kind of exciting um, for. Yeah. So that that speaks to the multicultural of like, I think it gets people excited that there's other possibilities. So, yeah. So even though for maybe people outside of Utah, different churches that all look the same ethnically is not multicultural to an LDS student, it will feel different cultural because they are, they're (laughs) imported from different cultures, right? I also have seen some LDS students go to more churches out of a conviction that more religion is the solution sometimes. So maybe they'll go to their LDS church in the morning and then they'll go to... I don't know, some Baptist church two hours later because they just think more teaching is better. And I think that's actually a really good opportunity for churches to capitalize on grace, right? And realize that, hey, more of these things is not the solution, right? It's actually grace. So that, and I think that's been one thing that a lot of students find when they go to churches is most churches still end on grace, that grace is the solution, right? And I think that's a really good unifying piece to 
wherever churches are at in Utah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about as we read the book of Ephesians, we can mm-hmm. see there was a lot of challenge with multiculturalism in that church. And they were called to unity. They were called to see um, the unifying principles of grace that draw them together as one body. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'd be curious, how how does that look like for you guys? Are, are there relational tensions between people that are part of the LDS culture? Or maybe they grew up that way, but now they're following Jesus or them with people who are part of the counterculture and, and whatever else. How, how are some of these relationships worked out? Yeah. The thing that comes to mind with that is um, when you're trying to be a place where an LDS student, you're trying to be a ministry where an LDS student would feel comfortable coming in, there are some some guardrails you have to put up with other people's emotions. Uh, so people in the counterculture that are finding Jesus or having a redeemed experience with faith and religion and Jesus, um, there's still a lot of anger they hold on to. And so one of the biggest things I think we've seen is needing to be weary of how either people that have had a negative experience with the LDS Church or no experience with the LDS Church speak about the LDS Church. Uh, Because, I mean, we've had instances in our small groups and our Bible cities where someone will just go on a little tangent ranting against Mormons and someone is who is still figuring out where they stand with that or an active part of the LDS Church is sitting across the table from them. And so there's been a lot of conversation and training to to talk about how can we – feel those valid feelings of frustration, but remain a welcoming place where, you know, no matter where people are at in their journey away from the LDS church or towards this, you know, Jesus or anywhere on that process could feel like they could come and explore the same way. Yeah, that's really helpful. I I think that in my mind that raises a, a, a larger question that follows up on that is that when you have people who come into your ministry who are maybe not raised in the LDS culture raised in Utah, maybe they came from the West Coast or whatever. Um, how do you go about helping outsiders think more like insiders mm-hmm. or, or think more like you guys are experienced growing up in Utah? How do you share that? Um, is it, do you have formal ways of doing that? Is it informal, relational? How, how do you go about that? Yeah. Candidly, I think we did a bad job of that our first couple of years in ministry in Utah. Partially, I think... We have our own tiredness and, you know, exhaustion towards the LDS culture from growing up here. And I think, you know, you kind of, I think, mentally wanted to take a break. Uh, But I think the longer we're in Utah, the more we feel called to Utah, that burden has increased and we have revisited that. I think one of the biggest struggles I have with out-of-state students is they bring in a lot of in-house debates that Latter-day Saints do not have. Calvinism versus Arminianism, women in ministry versus not women in ministry, right? And I think these are all valid, reflective discussions. But when it comes to reaching the greater culture, it it just adds a lot of roadblocks to reaching LDS students. So I think there's that. And I think the solution to that is defining what are the bounds of Christianity, right? Do we believe in the Trinity? Yes. Do we believe that we're saved by Jesus dying on the cross? Jesus actually dying, right? And actually rising, not just metaphorically. Uh, Can we agree on what the New Testament and Old Testament canon is, right? And man, those basics, if we have those, a lot of churches can jump on board, Mm -hmm. right? And if we can stick to those and actually illustrate how beautiful and full those doctrines are, there's a lot of room to run. Uh, So I think that's one thing. And two is just 
creating an awareness that they're entering into a different culture and not just act, uh, interacting with r- religious people. So that I would, I would say, don't say anything negative about Mormons in Bible study. That, I mean, that yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Or even I think people talk a lot about Mormonism as like this trendy, like, I don't know, like idea, but it's not just an idea. These are like people, like yeah. human yeah. beings right. that you're in class with. So people, out-of-state students love to speculate on, do Mormons actually think this? Do Mormons actually think this? And realizing it's like, well, but really Mormons are, they're, they're people, they're humans that you need, you're called to love. And so I think it's like retraining their brain a little bit that they're not an idea. They're not a, just a belief. They are people experiencing what you're experiencing with this faith. And so something we've done is we've done like a a Mormonism 101 with students of just like, here's the basic beliefs of the LDS church and just informing them. So there's less speculation of like, do they think this? Do they think this? And it's like, well, okay, no, here's core doctrine that any LDS person you meet is going to believe in. And there's lots of other stuff that people, just like for us, I mean, what Jason's just talking about, there's other things that if you asked three LDS people, you're going to get three different responses on what they think of you know, that specific thing. So just kind of focusing in on like, they're not an idea. Don't talk about LDS people just as this idea or as this overarching like Mormonism because it's not, no two LDS people are the same. And so just like we don't want people to talk about, oh, Christians. It's like, well, you don't know me. I might be different than the Christians you've met. So that kind of goes into the like, hey, maybe be weary of how you talk about Mormonism or the LDS church in your small group because one, there could be someone sitting across the table with that experience, but they're not just this overarching belief. It's people. But it is a, it is a strange position to be in when there's an LDS student at your Bible study who loves the Latter-day Saints faith still. And then there's a person who's left the LDS faith, right? And to show empathy with one would show antagonism towards the other, right? So it gives us a awkward and great opportunity because everything Christians usually get blamed for, we can kind of like shift to the LDS church, right? Uh, Which is not great, but uh, you can, right? Uh, And you can acknowledge like some of you have been hurt by religious people. Also, we need to acknowledge that we are those religious people sometimes, right? And we have perpetuated things that are not great in our Christian traditions. So I don't know. There is that awkward thing where we want to reach the counterculture. And sometimes that can mean having, carrying their thoughts and upholding, uh, you know, these convictions we have. But we also want to reach the predominant culture, right? One third of students at the University of Utah still actively identify as Latter-day Saints. And uh, we need to show compassion and respect for uh, what they've done for the state of Utah and and the morals they carry still. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an awkward middle ground, awkward middle ground. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a, a an environment where you can't create just rules and follow the rules, but every individual, every group, every conversation is so unique that it has to be guided by these principles of empathy and openness mm-hmm. and forgiveness and mm-hmm. grace. And yeah, that, that sounds like a really interesting kind of an environment to engage in relationship mm-hmm. and build trust. I also think one thing we want to instill in Christians coming 
to college is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Like it's not just hard work because you grew up LDS, right? And it's not just not thinking you're religious because you grew up LDS and then left, right? Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life, right? We're not trying to get someone on board a certain Christian tradition. We're not trying to make people see the Bible exactly how we see it. Uh, But we are trying to say, if you do not follow Jesus, you are not on the way, right? Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. I think there still needs to be that radical claim that Jesus is mm-hmm. uh, how to do life properly and how to be saved. Mm-hmm. Well, not not everyone who's listening is going to be near a campus or on a campus or hanging out with students, but uh, we all have opportunities to connect with people who are of that age. Mm-hmm. And um, how can how can you encourage listeners to actually see people that are that are young adults student age, um, and, and meet them where they're at, help them on their journey towards Jesus. Yeah. How, how can you encourage just everyday people to do that? I think that young adults is one of the most exciting like times for us to engage people with faith because similar, like I said earlier, people in their early 20s are figuring out who they are and they're actually going to be really open to talking about it. So if you are in a place where you you know of maybe like a young LDS couple or just like a, a young professional who's moved in near you that is, you know, in their 20s figuring out adulthood but is an LDS person, I think there's a lot of opportunity where they're going to be really open to figuring out what being an adult looks like, figuring out what their purpose and their, you know, what they want to believe, how they want their life to look. They're still figuring that out. And I think that's true LDS or not. And so I, if, I, I, we always, I mean, we do what we do because we think this is the most crucial generation that's going to change the church in the future with how they're engaged, discipled, and called. And so I think that's true with LDS people as well, is like this is the generation that could change the LDS church with how they come to know Jesus and experience Jesus. And so not thinking, oh, well, they're young, they don't have influence in their ward, or they don't have influence in this or that. It's actually, they're the best people to be engaging and reaching. And so I would say just getting to know people in your life that um, are, are LDS and young and because um, they probably have questions, they probably are curious, they um, probably are having experiences that aren't Maybe what they expected, given how, what their faith has said. Maybe, you know, it's harder. Maybe it's scarier than they thought young adulthood would be. And so just being a presence in their life. Uh, and then, like Jason said, pointing them to, you know, it's not about how hard you work. It's not about how much you do in a week. It's not about being a perfect mom or a perfect this or um, or any of that. But it's uh, it's about knowing Jesus and connecting with Jesus and I think that's a great opportunity that we have. I, I think self-improvement is a really big trend amongst Gen Z with certain influencers, like how to eat, when to work out, who to follow. And along with that self-improvement trend comes a desire to be mentored. And maybe not like officially, like I'm going to sit you down every week. But I do think anyone of any age can mentor a young adult, right? And you might want to do that more like sneakily, but like, hey, let's play disc golf, right? Or like, what if we- go play pickleball once a week. Yeah, what if we went shopping one day? And then as that evolves, 
there will obviously be bigger conversations. Then you can make it more explicit and say, hey, I would like to mentor you and just talk to you about your life. I want to ask you how you're doing every week, how you feel about college, how you feel about your family. So I, I actually do think that desire is, is welling up in Gen Z where they realize I don't have all the answers. I've been misled by some kind of authority figure I thought had the answers. And I would like someone who's lived a little bit longer than me. Cause I think we even see that with freshmen now mm -hmm. who look up to sophomores and the sophomores are so confused <laughs> on what to do. Right. Yeah. So, but there is this idea of you might not know more about the Bible, but I know you've been following Jesus longer than me here in college. Right. So I know you've seen more stuff. So yeah. I do think there's that I think that's a great thing Gen Z has. There is some humility, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Nobody has a crystal ball, but what do you see as the future, being that you work with young, young adults that are going to be leading the world soon? What do you see as the future for, uh, you know, re reaching Latter-day Saints, mm -hmm. for the Christian church in general, the Christian church in Utah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you see, what do you see coming um, in our future? Yeah. I, I do think this generation of the LDS Church is going to be really different. Uh, one, just I think access to information has changed everything. Uh, so I think we've, we've mentioned there there's a lot more openness to interfaith dialogue. So I think there's a lot more reception to inviting an LDS person to church and then have them coming back again and again because it's not as scary or shameful to do that. So I think... Um, the future is we're going to see more LDS people checking out our local churches and actually, if they're invited, actually coming and, and really taking that seriously and finding joy in that community. Um, for this generation of the LDS church, there there is an opportunity of they they talk a lot more about Jesus than they do about anything else. There There is this trend of they, they want to know, they want to be followers of Jesus, and there's a great opportunity to introduce them to who Jesus really is. Uh, there, I, I've just found in talking to LDS students, they, they want to they're focusing a lot more on the similarities than the differences, and the greatest similarity is the desire to follow Jesus. And we can really, um, I think, we'll see change in that. And I think a lot of people, a lot of young LDS people are going to meet Jesus for who he is through this desire, um, even of just being similar at first to, cr to Christianity at, at whole. But I think they'll meet Jesus for who he is through that longing. So. Hmm. I think it's going to get more confusing and more opportunistic for evangelicals to evangelize to LDS people. It's going to get more confusing because LDS people watch The Chosen. Uh, a lot of young LDS people listen to Hillsong. Yeah. Those used to be markers for us in our faith to say, hey, this is how different we are, but our practices are becoming similar. I mean, so... When they drink coffee, that's – no, I'm just kidding. That's not the mark, right? But I think it's just, it's it's going to be more confusing, right? Are they saved or are they not saved? Are they in or are they out, right? Also, it is going to become more opportunistic, right? Because they are listening to Hillsong, maybe they'll go to your church, right? Because they are uh, watching The Chosen. Maybe you can have them read uh, a, a Dallas Willard or a Philip Yancey book or something like that, something that will – keep edging them towards uh, a greater holistic idea of following Jesus uh, in a traditional Christian way. So uh, I think it's going to get more and more difficult to understand when they've entered salvation, when they've come into yeah. God's grace. But it, it's going to be, I think, healthier 
how they do it too. So and I And probably I, a lot more that will take that journey of, you know, and we've even said, I mean, multiple times we have students that are going to multiple churches already and like and excited and willing to do that. So Yeah, that's a great that's great feedback for us who are involved in ministry in churches in Utah, partly because I mean, the paradigm of American church has always been a crisis moment of decision Mm -hmm. to cross the line of faith or have your defining moment or whatever it might be. And and I think becoming more comfortable with to say, hey, no, there's a lot of things. Now, I think think biblically and from an eternal perspective, there is a moment when you're not a a, a child of Jesus and and a moment when you are. But, But to define that is really not always valid on our part or externally define it and to be more comfortable with the flow of that and the kind of the the sense that this is a journey and it's really especially when you're deprogramming from some uh, major religious culture yeah to say that that it's, it could take a long time yeah. and it could take a long time before you really even know where that person is at and how patient can we be and how much can we continue to include and to uh, continue to love them, you know, I think I think that's a really good word for you guys in terms of where I don't think just the Latter Day Saint culture, but the larger culture yes. um, that's more pluralistic and more like open to a wide, wide variety of spiritual experiences and and so forth. It probably is a probably a good word for all of us. Yeah, a fun story or not a fun story, but a story off that we have a student that is now a junior but has been involved with InterVarsity throughout her entire college experience. And she is an active member of the LDS church and, but has been really open to Jesus so much. So she opted out of a mission and like stayed, stayed on campus and kept, you know, exploring Jesus. She's been to camps and conferences. And I think she's responded to five calls to faith because, you know, and like, she has this moment where she's like, yes, Jesus, like, I'm going to follow you. And we talked to her about what that means. She understands. And then she gets home or she gets back into her environment, back into her culture. And she realizes, oh, I can't leave this. Like, I'm not, I'm not ready to step away. Like, this, this is too risky. This is too much. And so she keeps kind of going, you know, playing, she's walking this line of it's a both and right now, where she like really believes this stuff and also really believes this stuff. And we just have seen her continue to respond. And our best approach to that is just keep making ways for her to respond. And, and and I don't know, I couldn't tell you, one of those decisions very well could have been the moment and now she's just wrestling with the cultural stuff or she just ha- hasn't had it yet. But I think, you know, an encouragement to, to churches is don't stop asking people to make that decision. Like keep calling people to decide, but also have grace for the people in your congregation, both LDS or you know, just other young people that might need to might might say yes a few times before it like is really sticking, uh, and having grace for that too. Yeah, trans transformation takes time, takes a long time. We've seen a lot of students not go to general conference so they can come to our fall conference. That should be declared a, a hallmark win, whether or not they stood for a call to faith. Uh, even yesterday, we were talking to our two slick leaders about their roommate who left the LDS church, went to various Protestant churches and is kind of going back to this LDS church, but he says it's a Protestant LDS church. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what he's meaning in that moment, but uh, the fact that he's even recognizing that there's a, a clear difference and he wants something different. They said, you know, we're not happy with how this man has been the past couple of weeks, 
but we recognize after a year has passed by how incredibly different he is because mm-hmm. of God. So the, there is just this long-term mentality that needs to be had, mm-hmm. even with young people. Yeah, and I think for for the broader church as whole, young people, even young Christians, I think what we're seeing is one, like just a, a tremendous increase of boldness. Uh, I've just like seeing, we. I mean, we just did some evangelism on campus and had 20 freshmen out there evangelizing. We've never seen that in our five years, like never seen freshmen being like, yeah, I'll share my faith with my friends. So I think there's this boldness in our, our young Christians too, that they, they want to go, they want to engage, they want to be sent, they want to be called um, to to share the love of Jesus in radical ways. And so there's more openness from students for uh, going on mission trips and uh, going, you know, going and serving and being leaders and serving at church. And so I would say for, for churches out there, like if you've got young people, like use them. I think they're going to be hungry. I think they're going to be ready and they want more. Um, and so, and I think that's exciting because the best people to reach young LDS people is going to be young Christians, mm-hmm. uh, the, their peers. So like, you know, also utilizing them of trusting they're going to have influence in places we can't as we get older. Like we can't, they're going to reach people and reach places we can't go. So I am super encouraged about the young people rising into our churches and think that they're going to bring just a life and energy and excitement um, to be just on mission for Jesus. Yeah, that is really encouraging. Thanks for sharing that. The, the exhortation for us to really lean into young adults, um, equipping them with with the heart with an understanding, maybe even some simple ways that they can share their faith. Totally. Yeah, they have the drive. They need the formation, <laughs> and that's what we can give. I also think they can do way more work than what most pastors think. Mm. Anybody in their 20s who's not married and has a job, I would – I don't know. I'm not saying make them do everything, but I would almost say make them do everything, <laughs> right? Because they, they will evangelize. They will serve. They will do sound. They will do music. They will do kids, right? Uh, I just, when we send students off from our ministry and they go to a church, I think they become dissatisfied with the church, not because the church is a bad church. It's because the church isn't asking them to do enough, right? They, I don't think this is a burnout generation, no. right? I think they just, they want to do more and they realize that this sounds so lame, that church is good for them. Like it is a good thing for them to go to because it makes them a better person. energizing and life-giving yeah. and they, they, they love it. Yeah. And so I think... Yeah, I think in in I think I know there's been seasons of feeling like oh we're burning out our volunteers we're asking too much of them we've seen with our, especially our younger our juniors sophomores freshmen just an increase like I want more like I want more I want more discipleship I want more teaching I want more you know responsibility I want more yeah just I want to serve more uh, because it, they they're really just excited about it so. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining today. I've really appreciated hearing the stories, hearing the insights. Uh, I think what you're doing is incredible work, and I'm grateful that you are leaning into relationship with young adults and students, uh, helping them to, to know Jesus, to follow him as the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm so encouraged to hear what, what may be up ahead as God is working in this specific harvest field. So thanks so much for joining today, guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Again, this is the Culture Wise podcast where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. <laughs>